This morning's reading is from Luke, chapter 19, beginning at the first verse. Jesus and Zacchaeus. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was passing that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Rob. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for your patience this morning. It's good that you're patient now I'm preaching. We'll see where this goes. But, um, and welcome, particularly if you're, uh, if you're just visiting. It's half-term week, one way last week or that's next week. Anyway, if you're here as a visitor, welcome. Thank you for coming to St. Thomas's. Um, before we, with our, our series, which is really looking at Jesus doing things that uh, scandalized a few people, changed lives. It's this series, All Eyes on Jesus. And we're going to go and spend some time in Jericho with Jesus in the scene that Rob just described for us. But before we go there, we're going to stay local. But I still want to take you back in time, um, more or less precisely, 158 years and 10 days um, to 1862. And uh, it's just for an illustration of what happens when Jesus comes to town. So I read these wonderful words that recalled some um, a revival that was sparked by a preaching tour that came down through South Cumbria and um, through Windermere and Kendal, as I say, 158 years and 10 days ago, give or take. It was the 4th of March and the days following. So first of all, there were these meetings in some, whether there's an assembly room or there are assembly rooms in Windermere, I don't know. I'm not from there. You might know. But that's where the meeting started. And then there were some meetings here at the town hall where they had to open out as much space as possible um, to, for people to gather and hear the gospel and then it was so good that they moved up to some schoolrooms on Fellside because they kept going for a little while. And so hundreds of people attended these meetings and, um, and you know, it got pretty wild. People were singing in the streets after the meetings and the Windermere crowd came down to the Kendall meetings and they sang on the train all the way back. And, um, and dozens of people became Christians. And there were these, um, there's a record of a tea party after the Windermere meetings where 60 or so people were there who'd made commitments and welcomed Jesus into their lives. And it says this, the language is lovely because it's, you know, it's, it's old language from an old Revival Times article that says dozens came 
and boldly testified that God, for Christ's sake, had pardoned their sins and that they could rest upon the finished work of Christ on the cross. Which is just beautiful, isn't it? Let me give you some more of the words from uh, this report. It also says this, During these meetings, the Lord's presence and blessing were realized in a truly blessed manner. And some of the very vilest sinners in the neighborhood, and also some of the most respectable, nominally religious persons, were broken up and brought to Christ. Now, I should point out to you that this was uh, the reference to these vile sinners was the Windermere meetings, um, just in case you're worried about, uh, about Kendall and how it's being represented here. Um, so obviously that was in relation to Windermere, but what do you think? Were there even notorious and vile sinners here in Kendall? Probably so. In fact, what I love, before we stumble over the language actually, is that it holds in wonderful balance the fact that those who were pious and respectable equally as those whose lives were a scandal to their neighbors came and met Jesus. Because isn't that the gospel? We all need Jesus, however we look on the outside and whatever we may have been and are. I just love that. So there you go. Local revival, a little while ago, but it's good. And God comes in grace and in power to forgive our sins, to set us free and to transform our lives. It's what he does. He does it now. He did it then. He was doing it in Jericho on the day that Rob read for us, uh, described by Luke in chapter 19. So it's a, it's a good news passage. It's a revival work that, uh, that Jesus was doing in Jericho. Should we pray and then have a look? I think we should. It's not really fair to ask you questions I don't want an answer to, is it? I'm going to pray. Father God, we want to know your presence here among us. That in this day, you would do your beautiful work. That you'd continue the transformation of our lives if we have met you already. Or if we are just desperate to know you, to know something of you that this would be the day when we get to meet you. And you'd pour grace into our lives and we could let go and let you in with joy. So come by your spirit, we pray. Work in us, work among us, work through us for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. So there's this wonderful story. I love the simplicity and it's familiar, isn't it? Zacchaeus climbed a tree. You know the story probably know the story. It's a great one for illustrations in children's Bibles. And you take two things, um, and if one of them is Jesus and you put them together, something happens, doesn't it? So you take Jericho and Jesus. That's good, isn't it? You know something's going to happen. And there are two things that I think are spelt out for us really clearly in this passage. Um, The first is Zacchaeus. So we get a picture of him first, described, um, and Luke just plays it very straight, very straight face. He's the chief tax collector. He'd become very rich. Draw your own conclusions. Um, But um, it's important information, and it has a bearing on people's attitude to him that we're going to come to, because his position, some of you, most of you may know or realize that they were a people under occupation. So an analogy might be living in France under Nazi occupation in the Second World War. Zacchaeus would be one of the people who made a mint by getting cozy with the Nazis. How popular do you think he was? 
You know what I mean? Because he was working for the Romans and creaming off a good amount of money for himself. Not a popular guy. Probably been voted the most hated man in Jericho, five years running. You know what I mean? So this is Zacchaeus. But what's important, as well as that fact, is what we see him doing. He's desperate to meet Jesus. That's the key thing. He's desperate to see him. He can't see him because he's short. It spells it out. I think he probably wouldn't have got far anyway because I imagine there would have been quite a few elbows directed at Zacchaeus because people just hated him. But he ends up climbing this tree, messy, sticky, sycamore fig tree, just to get his chance to look at Jesus. Not a natural tree climber, I would suggest. So what's being spelled out to us is that he's desperate in his desire to meet with Jesus. So that's one thing. And on the other hand, um, given Zacchaeus's uh, corruption and his occupation, there is a huge weight of disapproval. And so we get that phrase that, again, we, we got about that crowd in Windermere as well. You know what I'm talking about. Notorious sinner. They really didn't like him fundamentally despised him as a collaborator, as a traitor, and someone who had demonstrably abandoned faith, um, not only in terms of piety and propriety, but he'd abandoned his own people and with them the Lord. You know what I mean? He really kind of, yeah, done the dirty on them. And so they hated him. And this is a wonderful place for us to have a look This is what I want us to do. All eyes on Jesus. Have a look at what Jesus does. You know the story and you've heard the story, even if it's for the first time. What we're seeing is Jesus loving to move towards the one who's desperate for him, who is desiring him. And we see that Jesus pretty much defies or just plain ignores all of the disapproval and the disdain of the crowd. He just, he goes after Zacchaeus, doesn't he? Is that good news for anyone among us, I wonder? It sounds like good news, doesn't it, actually? I may not be a Zacchaeus, (laughs) but the irony in their judgment is that everybody needed Jesus to come around for lunch. And he chose Zacchaeus. He moved towards the one who climbed a tree, made a complete fool of himself, so desperate just to get sight of Jesus. And Jesus does the most surprising thing, highlights him, most hated man in Jericho, and says, today I am coming to your house. And then a few verses after they've had time together, he says, salvation has come to your home today. There's only a brief description here, it's only a few verses, but the impact of Jesus Moving towards Zacchaeus is huge. It changes his life because the heart of the reading is hearing Zacchaeus stand up, we say, before Jesus and presumably a crowd of people there because um, Jesus refers to him in the third person, talking to others who are there as well, witnessing this. But Zacchaeus is then saying, look, I just want to make amends. I want to give half of the money away. I want to give four times back. It sounds like a recipe for having nothing for the rest of your life, pretty much, doesn't it? But he unravels his own life for the sake of just having been chosen by Jesus. Is that not a beautiful thing, watching grace do something? Grace is so easily just this big word, big principle, big forgiveness of God 
declare. But it's always specific. It's always particular, actually. That's how you see it. Grace is, first of all, a person. It's Jesus. And then grace is invading the life of Zacchaeus. And this is what grace produces on day one. You don't get to see day three, day four, the second decade, as this guy, let's assume he became a follower and became a disciple and poured his life out for the sake of the one who chose him when everyone hated him and gave him what he could never have got for himself. Maybe it couldn't even occur to him to just turn it all around. That kind of liberty is amazing, isn't it? This is amazing grace. We sang it. We know all about it. Here it is. It's absolutely stunning. This is what Jesus does with him coming to us, just like with him coming to that leper. You know, that's one of those, usually the first encounter in the gospel, whichever one you want to read, touching the guy before he pronounces him healed, coming to us, making the first move with him. The most extraordinary things can happen. In this case, those transformations, the turnaround of a life, the reordering of a life to justice, to integrity, to the way of Jesus, to the kingdom and the reign of God in an instant. And then he's got to walk it out, but he's chosen well. Isn't it good? And grace gives us this. We can leave things behind that hurt us and others. It comes as a gift And only Jesus can do this. He couldn't do this himself. Jesus comes because Jesus is God with us. God comes and invades his life and then changes it from the inside out. He goes into his home scandalously and changes it from the inside out. That's how it works. He didn't say, Zacchaeus, you know, pitch it to me. What would you give for me to come and have lunch with you? He could have given quite a lot of money, um, could have done so, but it didn't work that way, did it? He came and got hold of Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus is changing immediately. So good. This is what he does. He comes in, rescues us, and gives us new life. And he says it so beautifully. You know it. You've heard it before. The Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Whose initiative? His initiative. Isn't it beautiful? He's doing it. He was doing it then. He was doing it in the mean streets of Windermere and I'm sure slightly nicer Kendall, (laughs) 158 years ago. He's doing it today. It's what he loves to do. It's what he loves to do. So hallelujah, right? But in Jericho, I mean, I don't know what happened after verse 9, but certainly verse 7, it's not so much hallelujah as, oh my goodness, I can't believe that Jesus has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. Why did he choose Zacchaeus? I mean, we know why. We just looked at that bit. But people were really offended. Luke makes sure that we get the point of view of the crowd. Zacchaeus is, is so unworthy I mean, sure, we're all unworthy, but he's so unworthy, right? They're really unhappy, and they're grumbling that Jesus has gone to him. But it's what Jesus loves to do. And we just need to notice, just fix our eyes on him and have a look at what he's doing. Does he excuse Zacchaeus' sin? Not a trick question, but I am, being, I am being sneaky. He doesn't excuse his sin, does he? He doesn't condone corruption, a lifestyle, theft, creaming, the stuff. He doesn't 
condone any of that. He doesn't excuse it. He is releasing the grace that means he can turn away from that, receive forgiveness, get a whole new start. He's doing that. But he doesn't excuse this lifestyle or the disloyalty of Zacchaeus to his people. But he goes to him to make him his own, to claim him. I want you. He looked up at Zacchaeus in that tree and chose to come to him. And that's how the change can begin. And that's the main thing that I want us to to take away actually today. There's something in the way Jesus looks at him that is absolutely the heart of being a people sent by Jesus to change the world. A people about whom Jesus says, you will do the same works I've been doing. Let's call this a work. You know, we often think, oh, that's miracles. But here's a work that Jesus is doing. Getting hold of someone's life, getting into someone's life and changing it from the inside out. How's he proposing to do that now, now that he's not walking, talking on the streets of Kendall? You are doing that. How he proposes to do it is by this outlandish thing. It's what we've called Plan A. This is now a plug for Plan A. Please sign up. I want three more people at least before Wednesday. You have got three days. Sign up for Plan A. The curriculum's really good. We've made it even better. So, um, but the point is that Jesus says these outrageous things about you. You will do even greater works. Anyone who believes, not the special ones who are already out on the mission field and have written books, it's anyone who believes will do these works and greater because I'm going to be with the Father and I want to work now from that place through you in the power of the Spirit. I'm going to invade the lives of a million Zacchaeuses. How? By sending all my children out to do it in the power of my Spirit. This is how it works now. So there's something about the way Jesus looks at him. And by this, did I already say this? I don't mean a tilt of the head and a twinkle in his eye. It comes out in what he says when he celebrates the transformation that's now unfolding. He says, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. What does Jesus see when he looks at Zacchaeus? Worst man in Jericho? Or a true son of Abraham? It's an interesting translation. It, it actually sounds in this translation like on the basis that he's starting to do something good about his life, he's now proving himself to be a worthy son of Abraham. But the Greek is much plainer than that. It just says, salvation has come to this home today because even he is a son of Abraham. Even this one is a son of Abraham. What does Jesus see when he looks at him, when he looks at you, when he looks at me? All the rubbish we've been doing? He can see it, and he doesn't condone it, but he sees the child of God. Or in Zacchaeus, he sees a son of the promise, a son of what was begun when God met Abraham and said, I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. I will make you a blessing. All nations on the earth will be blessed through you. I will make you a nation, and through your offspring, the world will be blessed. The Abraham, this promise to Abraham fulfilled in Jesus. That's what we're talking about here. And so as he looks at Zacchaeus, his corruption, his actions, his choices, he doesn't need to be told about that. Anyone can spot sin. Can you spot sin? It's pretty easy, isn't it? Seriously. What about the secret sin? I don't know. Never mind. But you can see the mess in someone's life. We can see it very easily. But he sees 
that this man, what has been lost is that this man's identity is as a son of Abraham, a son of that promise, somebody who's meant to carry that, enjoy the blessing of it himself, and also steward and bring that to the world for the sake of the the Gentiles, the nations, the whole world. That was the trajectory, the word over Abraham, the plan of God, as he's working his way from the garden back to the new creation. He said it begins with Abraham and a starry sky and an outrageous promise. And this man, this grotty tax-collecting collaborator, is a son of that promise. And he wants to call out what had been lost, so lost, so caked in sin, He said, that's who you actually are. I'm calling it out of you. You're a child, a son of Abraham, and you have a purpose, which is to bring that promise into this world, now through Christ, because that's how it's getting released to the likes of me as a Gentile, and maybe most of you. That's how it comes. So, two things The first thing is, some of us might need to hear that when Jesus looks at us, we can't hide our sin, but he might see things that we would never believe of ourselves. The potential that he sees in Zacchaeus, a son of Abraham. It's not just the restoration of, oh, yeah, make him family. Wasn't everybody be nice to him? He's a brother too. It's so much more fundamental than that, who he truly is and what he's truly for. It's a beautiful moment of Jesus claiming him and putting him in the life he was given for. This is what Jesus does as he looks at us. First time we meet him and encounter that for ourselves, and time and again he's looking at us and calling us into who we are, to the inheritance that we are to receive and steward and give away to the people around us. And some of us might need to hear the first time Zacchaeus version of that. I don't know. That God is not after you as a notorious sinner, but really after getting into your life so that it can change from the inside out. There's no other way it will work. But that's how he does it. He wants in. So let him in. But here's the other thing that's really important for us, because I think it's so fundamental. I touch these verses, and I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis, probably once a year. I'll keep doing it until you get rid of me. Because it's so fundamental to being a people that God can use in the world to touch the lives of others. The way Jesus looks at people, look like Jesus. How are we going to do the things that Jesus does? Is by looking. One of the ways, part of it fundamentally, is looking the way he does. The Apostle Paul wrote this, 2 Corinthians 5, 15 to 18. Jesus died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone. A new life has begun. Now, The next verse, all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. There's something here about looking at people the way Jesus looked at Zacchaeus 
and could see who he really was, who he was meant to be and could be by the grace of God. And we are invited, like Jesus, to stop evaluating others from a human point of view and instead both to champion the new creation that is in a believer on your left or on your right, a new creation, what potential there is in that. But also, we read here, to take up the task of reconciling people to God. In other words, looking through the same lens at people who don't yet know Jesus, who have the potential, are seconds away, 20 brave, outrageous seconds away from encountering Jesus for themselves. The old is gone. The new has come, a new creation. We no longer look at people from a human point of view. Stop evaluating people from a human point of view, we're told. Instead, just go get them. Go get them. Get them reconciled to God through Christ. Let him live through you. Yeah? That's the call. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. I love just quoting this sermon, The Weight of Glory. He is, the sermon as a whole talks about the glory that is ahead of somebody in Christ, what we will be eternally with Christ. And then he pulls it back at a certain point and says, yeah, what's the point of us thinking about ourselves in that light? He says, mm, it could actually be quite thin ice. We could spend too much thinking, Woo, I'm going to be glorious. Hallelujah. But actually, he says then, I'll just quote him, it may be possible for us to think too much about our own potential potential glory, but it is hardly possible for us to think too often or too deeply about our neighbor's glory, about what they will be. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should daily be laid upon my back. It is a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken." It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. That's the, the language there is just talking about the fact that we are not just dust. We have a life eternally, yeah? So if you don't, don't stumble over his language, he's just talking about the fact that we are no longer to look through people from a human point of view. There is more, and so he goes on. This is where it gets really good. Remember that the dullest and the most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinies. And it is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities that we should conduct all our dealings with other people, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. And we see in our reading today that Jesus goes after one of these not ordinary people up a tree. He chooses him, and with that chooses his eternity. Gives Zacchaeus the freedom to say, Oh, actually, I'm a bit busy. But Zacchaeus was, he was hooked before he was inviting himself around for lunch, wasn't he? But this is what Jesus was doing. This is what we're called to do and reminded of that we are ushering people towards who they will be. It's a sobering thing, but there is so much grace for us. What does it look like? It's just, well, let's begin with a discipline looking like Jesus, looking for how he views people, training ourselves. If we're teachable, we can grow in this. We can see people through his eyes. 
and begin, therefore, to treat them accordingly. And that will resonate with, uh, with them in such a way that I think you will just draw them towards Christ in you and Christ for them. Do you know what I mean? Do you believe me? Do you want to try it? Honestly. I don't mean don't preach the gospel. I'm saying have your heart towards them in such a way, your sight on them in such a way that the gospel will make sense because it's calling out who they are. Anybody can spot the sin. But can you lay hold of this person for their glory in Christ and not let them go, refuse to let them go? Because that's what Jesus was doing, defying the whole crowd, all the hatred of Jericho, to get hold of the guy that needed it. Like everyone else. But he needed it, right? And it's not just good news that Jesus did that. Thank you, Jesus. It's a ministry he's charging us with. That's what we learn from this. Do the thing he did. Should we pray? Jesus, thank you for calling Zacchaeus out of the tree and going to his house to make sure that he could start a new life with you. Would you open our hearts, open our eyes, open our lives to pursue people in ways that make sense but may feel really risky as well, but to have your heart, to see people in light of how you value them, what your promise is over their life, what you want them, what you want for them, and, and, and how you see them and who they are to you. Make that the way we look at everybody. And work through us, God. Work through us. And our tenacity that we won't let go until you've got hold of them. We're free to choose, but it's, it's not a level playing field. So we want to step up and lay hold of the situations, the opportunities you give to us. Say, so this is the way. This is Jesus. Here's the one who loves you. Here is freedom. Here is freedom from sin. So we, we want you to clothe us with power from on high. We want to receive power from you, Holy Spirit, to be your witnesses, to be a missionary people, to be disciples who are making disciples in the name of Jesus. Would you fill us afresh? Fill this week. Fill the months ahead. Come and sweep through Kendall again like you did. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.